good to be here. Uh, our beloved pastor, um, he, he is making his way. Well, right now I think he's <laughs> funny at a baseball tournament. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, we'll talk about that. When gets, uh, but anyway, uh, he is at a baseball tournament, but after this tournament, uh, they're heading to Mississippi for Thanksgiving. He's going to go kill some deer. Come on. Hallelujah. Um, he's trying to talk me into do it. I just, uh, one day, maybe one day. Uh, but since he's not here today, you got me. Hallelujah. So I'm excited, uh, to preach to I can't believe he's at a baseball tournament. Um, anyway, come on, but he prioritizes the presence of God. <laughs> we love you, pastor. Hallelujah. Um, but today, uh, I want to talk to you about a message called Beloved Identity. <laughs> Come on, you like that a little too much right there. Beloved Identity. We're going to talk about being the beloved of God. Amen? How many of you know that you're the beloved of God? Wave at me if you believe God loves you. All right. So before we do this, I want to just take a minute. Every, you know, I've, I've, I've caught on to myself uh, the past couple of weeks in uh, my presentation of the gospel. Uh, there's one thing that I want to do better at. And that's before I begin to dive into the scriptures and begin to teach and preach the word of God. I want to brag on him. Come on. I want to testify about Jesus. Before I get going, I want to talk about how good he is and how great he is. How many of you know that he's the star? Come on. He is the star that we talk about. It is him that's in the light. We don't want nobody else in the light. Come on, we don't want nobody else getting the glory. Don't, don't, don't look at me as if I'm a God or the preacher's a God or the pastor's a God. or oh, No, it's only Jesus. Jesus is the star of this house. He's the star of Calvary. And if we ever get to a place where he's not the star, run. I'm going to say it again. If we ever get to a place where Jesus is not the star of this house, run. And if you get somewhere else and he's not the star of that house, run. And if you get to somewhere else and he's not the star of that house, run. Jesus needs to be the star of the church. He is the star of the body of Christ. We look like him. Amen? So we're going to talk about how he's the star for a moment. And how many know that he's the star throughout all scripture? And this Bible right here from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, how many of you know he's the star? Come on. I, I, I did a little uh, study in the other day, and as I was preparing this, in Genesis we find out he's the seed of a woman. In Exodus we find out he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus we find out he's our high priest. In Numbers we find out he's a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy he's a prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua he's the captain of the Lord's host. In Judges he's the judge and the lawgiver. In Ruth he's a redeemer. In Samuel he's the son of David. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the broken down walls of Jerusalem. In Job, he's the ever-living redeemer. In Esther, he's our advocate. In Psalms, he's our great shepherd. In Proverbs, he's wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's the preacher. In Songs of Solomon, he's the lover and the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's the weak prophet. Come on, somebody. In Ezekiel, he's the wheel in the middle of a wheel. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in a fiery furnace. How many are you grateful that he was that fourth man? Come on. 
In Hosea, he's a faithful husband. In Joel, he's he's the early and latter rain. In Obadiah, he's the avenger of God's elect. In Haggai, he's the glory of the latter house. In Zephaniah, he is mighty to save. In Zechariah, he's the fountain open for sin and uncleanness. Come on, how many are you grateful? He was the fountain open for sin and uncleanness. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, he's the wonder worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the baptizer of the Holy Ghost in fire. In Romans, he's the justifier. In Corinthians, he's the gifts of the Spirit. Come on, in Galatians, he's the fruit of the Spirit. In Ephesians, he's the armor of God. Come on, hallelujah. In Philippians, he's the humble servant. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead mightily. In Thessalonians, He's our soon coming king. In Timothy, he's the judge of the quick and the dead. In Titus, he's our blessed hope. Can we relate to that? In Philemon, he's our friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he's that better one. Come on. He's that better one. I'm going to say that again. In Hebrews, he's that better one. Hallelujah. In James, he is faith. In Peter, he is hope. In the three epistles of John, he is love. And in Revelation, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Behold, he was dead, but now, behold, he is alive forevermore. Come on, that's the, that's the Bible. That's our God. And he's the star of every book, every chapter, every page. He's the star of Calvary. He's the star of Corey's life. He's the star of your life. Come on, testify. He is the star. Come on, and if he's not your star by the end of this service, I believe you wake up and see the star. Come on. My God, I just got way more Pentecostal than I did first service. Listen, first service is two different animals. I love first service. I love you, first service. But first service, you know, it's, I, I, I guess it's been hard sometimes to wake up. But then second service, don't get me started on third service. <laughs> I love it. We just go from, the Bible's true, from glory to glory to glory. Hallelujah. But I've come to preach to you a message about beloved identity. I've come to remind you that he's still a healer. I've come to remind you that he's still a father. I've come to remind you he's still a friend. I've come to remind you he's still the fairest. I've come to remind you he is still the mender of the brokenhearted. I've come to remind you he still catches the tears you cry. I've come to remind you he still hears the prayers you pray. I've come to remind you he answers the prayers you pray. I've come to remind you, this is my favorite point on my entire notes. I've come to remind you he loves you more. I'm going to say it again. I've come to remind you he loves you more. You know, back in the day when, you know, had your little girlfriend, your, your boo thing, you know, when me and Kenzie first started out, uh, you know, you texting each other. We, we still do it because, you know, okay. But um, when you text and you're like, I love you more, and you know, I love you more. You know what I'm saying? And it's just, you're just all sweet, and it's like, no, baby, <laughs> I love you more. Yeah. I want to let you know something. Jesus loves you more. I want that to hit your spirit. 
You might love Jesus with everything in you. Great for you. Keep doing it. But he loves you more. You can't, we can't, if we took this whole sermon, this whole day, the whole rest of the year, all of next year, we'd still be, the year after that, we'd still be talking about how much he loves us. We can't wrap our head around the love of God. It is endless. It knows no end. It is his love for us that God so loved the world that he would send his son and he would die on a cross so that you might put your faith in him. It's his love that we can't comprehend. He loves you more. I've come to remind you that he is your joy unspeakable, full of glory. He is your joy. And I've come to remind you that he calls you beloved. So what is beloved identity? Let's go to John 15, chapter, uh, yeah, John, John 15, verses 7 and 8. A lot of scripture today. I might bounce around. Don't know. It's court. We're going to follow the wind. Hallelujah. But John 15, if you have your Bibles, we have it on the screen. Amen? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. But this my Father is glorified by this my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Disciples. <laughs> Look at verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. He's saying the same way the Father loves him, he loves us. Pastor Otis always has a magnificent way of saying this, and it's so powerful because we know God himself is the three in one. Jesus, the three in one, the Godhead. They work together. They are one. And Pastor always says he loves us as much as he loves himself. And in John 15, verses 10 through 14, it says, If you keep my commandments, this is Jesus talking, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. Set it up, beautiful. If you do whatever, listen, I command of you. How many of you know that it's just amazing to think that we're the friends of God? We are the friends of God. There's that song by Israel Hutton. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. It is amazing that the one who hung the stars, the one who created everything that we know, the trees, the oceans, the seas, everything that you could think of that is beautiful in this life, the mountains, the ranges, all of it, he calls us, who some of us, myself included, I don't look as good as that. You know, that's beautiful. Me, But he calls me friend. Out of everything he created, he calls me friend. It's a beautiful picture to think the God of the universe calls us friend. How many of you are grateful to be a friend of God? Well, I want to share something to you. You might step on your toes and good. But friends of God keep his commandments. Friends of God keep his commandments. Friends of God do good. Friends of God serve the house. Friends of God love people. Friends of God pour their heart out to what God is doing in the earth. Friends of God give. Friends of God serve. Friends of God worship. Friends of God pray. Friends of God attend. Friends of God serve. Friends of God give. 
Friends of God, pray. Friends of God, worship. Friends of God, dance. Friends of God, jump. Friends of God, testify. Friends of God, tells the world about how good their king is. Friends of God, keep his commandments. Friends of God are not ashamed of the gospel. Friends of God, serve the house. Serve the king. Friends of God, love the Lord God with all their heart. Friends of God, keep his commandments. Friends of God, keep his commandments. Are you a friend of God in this place? Friends of God, do good. I get we're human and you could hit me. Well, you know, I just had a bad day. Listen, I had a bad, a bad day three days, three days ago. Ask my wife. But listen. <laughs> Friends of God, do good. We want to do good. Not because there's a commandment, there's a law, there's a, you need to do this. Because we love him. Pastor Damon Thompson says something that is amazing. I don't know if you know who Damon Thompson is, but he released something that absolutely changed my life. He said, and this might mess with some religious people in the room, sorry, but I'm saying it. (laughs) He said, we would need less rules if we truly followed the king. We would need less rules if we truly followed the wind. And he's like, I'm not against rules and laws. We need rules and laws. Don't hear hear my heart. I'm saying we would need less of it if we had a church that was bought in to who their king is and what he wants to do in the earth. We would need less of it. It's not that we wouldn't have it. It's just like we would never be worried about breaking it. Hallelujah. Why? Because we're submitted to this king. Not because he's hitting us with a stick. Because we love this king. And he loves us. When you're submitted to God and following the wind. And truly giving everything to him. And he is your focus. He is your desire. The Bible says the enemy's out to sift you like wheat. But I promise you this thing. If you are fully given to Jesus and everything that he is, and you are in pursuit of him, it's a whole lot harder for the enemy. It's, it, I'm going to say it. It's a whole lot harder for the enemy to sift you like wheat. Why? Because you know who he is and the lies he speak. When you are fully given to the one we call king. When you're a friend of God, you keep his commandments. I look around definitely in the church world, and I see people in the church world, and even in the natural too, you know, we, 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 we try to justify sin. We go to church. Yeah, I go to church. But we try to justify all of these things that God says we shouldn't be a part of or be doing. And we try justifying it with the fact that we go to the church. Friend, my question for you is, are you a friend of God? You can go to church. Shout me down and leave and do things that friends don't do. Are you a friend of God? And a friend of God, yes, goes to church. And a friend of God, yes, is committed to a local body and what God's doing in the earth. Yes. But you can give me the lip service of I go to church and I do all this. But are you a friend of God? Because he desires to call you. We should desire for him to do so. I love this other quote that Mike Bickle says. Mike Bickle is the pastor of IHOP, Kansas City. And Mike Bickle says something, again, that absolutely just blows me away. He says, the wrath of God will take out anything that questions his love for you. 
Let that train wreck you this morning. The wrath of God. Because in the Pentecostal church that I grew up in and I love dearly, I I am not ashamed of my Pentecostal roots. I am Pentecostal. Hallelujah. I will shout this place till the roof comes off. I will dance. It's who I is, my heritage. I love it, not ashamed of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Come on. But growing up, and when I grow up, you hear the wrath of God, and it's like, you know, you're just like, I heard it one time, it messed me up as a kid, and it had to be corrected by one of my pastors. He said, you know, I heard just in a prayer group growing up as a kid about a dude who got caught in a wrong situation at the wrong time, did the wrong thing, made a dumb mistake. He sinned. He fell short of God's glory. He messed up like we've all messed up. But I heard church people saying, that's the wrath of God. He got put in jail. That's the wrath of God. We're in a prayer service, and instead of praying for God to break this prisoner free and change his life, we're, it's the wrath of God. Sinner's going to get what a sinner's going to get. What did you get? I love this from Mike Bickle. The wrath of God destroys anything that questions his love for us. The wrath of God destroys any tactic of the enemy that tries to break your mind of what God says about you to be true. Instead of judging and condemning people, When you hear about someone's fall and mess up and shortcoming, lift them up in prayer. Pray that God changes their life, that God can still use them. God can still transform them. You know what I'm believing for in the church? Years from now, I'm believing for God to to make a generation that would raise up, would come up in this hour. Their testimonies would blow you away. I want, I want more convicts that have been re- that turned into preachers. I need more people that have terrible lifestyles that all of society wrote off to be the ones that God says, there's something on the inside of you. Because if you read this Bible from front to back, the men you read about have quite a story. The men you read about have quite an upbringing. The men you read about, one was a murderer, and he turned into the greatest evangelist and missionary that the world has ever known besides Jesus himself. That's the Apostle Paul. And not only was he a murderer, but what was he? Saul was a killer of Christians. Maybe the next great Billy Graham is the one that hates us right now. But what if we were the ones that loved him? And something broke off of a man that society says, you will never be accepted again. You will never be welcomed again. Your voice has no value. But then a church comes in, and a church says, they might say this about you, but our king says this about you. What if in this hour we see God raise people up that we never thought would preach the gospel, but they're preaching the gospel? And if you have a hard time with thinking God can take a prisoner and turn them around into a preacher, then you don't like the Bible. If we have got such stuck in our religious ways of thinking because so-and-so did this and that, God can never use them, then we don't like the Bible. Because I come to break it to you. We were that so-and-so. We were that so-and-so. We 
We were that so-and-so. We were that guy. But there was a heavenly father that loved us so much. You might have not killed anybody. Great. Don't. You might have never, you know, your resume looks a whole lot cleaner than a lot of us. But you were that so-and-so. There's not been one man except Jesus that has lived his entire life spotless and clean. We have all been that so-and-so. But we serve a king that says, despite your past, you're my beloved. Come on, I see a man. I see a woo. I'm going to get that in the back. Weeping because God has power for you, friend. No matter what you've done in your past and your mistakes. As I was preaching about God can tra- transform the life of someone that society has wrote off. You know who I'm talking to. Society can't write off what the kingdom has wrote about you. And God is going to use you. And God's going to launch you despite what anybody else says. There's a king that says so. And we give him glory. Come on. Serving Jesus is a love relationship. Everything we do is out of desire and love for him. Everything he did for us was out of desire and love for us. It's a love relationship. Everything that we do for the king is out of our love for the king. And everything that he did for his children was out of his love for his children. Why? How can I prove this? For God so. Everything is out of love. Come on, let's read chapter 16. You got to bear with me. That's a lot. And my notes are really tight, so, you know, if I read, if I lose my place, give me, give me mercy. Hallelujah. All right. Thank you, Jesus. I've told you these things so that, when you, that, that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a little while longer. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because what I have told you. But in fact, it is best that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Ghost, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes to you, he will convict the world of its sin. Oh, my goodness. And of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Come on, hallelujah. How you know the devil is defeated? There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. Come on. This is why I said the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. In a little while, you won't see me anymore. But a little while after that, you will see me again. Some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while you won't see me anymore, but then we'll <laughs> see me. And I'm going to the Father. Now, what does he mean by a little while? <laughs> we don't understand. Then Jesus realized, this cracks me up. They wanted to ask him about it. It's kind of like when Adam was hiding in the garden. It's like, I see you. 
<laughs> the disciples, what in the world is he talking about? <laughs> Jesus. It's like, he's right there. He hears everything you're saying. And Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? <laughs> uh, I said in a little while, you won't see me. But a little while after that, you will see me again. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. But the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn into wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish, her pain gives way to the joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. Are you grateful no one can rob us from his joy? At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. The veil, I'm adding this in there. The veil has been torn. <laughs> I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly and he will grant your request because, you're, because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. I have spoken these things in a figure of speech, but soon I'm going to quit speaking this way. Then you will ask in my name, and I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself, oh, get this in your spirit, loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. Yes, I come from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. Then his disciples said, at last, you're speaking plainly. We get it. That's where I'm going to stop right here. I want to go back to John 16, verse 27. For the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. There is so much to break down here. I want to talk to you about the usage of words that Jesus ends up using here. And he says, it'll be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. He was talking about the pain the disciples would feel in a moment as he dies, but then a joy would hit them as they see him rise. But I believe he was talking more than just the disciples' point of view on this and what it would be for the disciples. I think he was talking about what it would be for himself. But I believe this quote goes a little deeper. He will suffer the pain that he endured on the cross, but after this joy will come like a mother and her new baby. Why? Because Hebrews says he endured the cross for the joy set before him. The Bible says right here in John, the joy after the pain was the child. Behold, now because of the cross and the blood, how many of you know we're all born again? Can we go deep this morning? Because of the cross and the blood and what Jesus did, we are all born again. We have all become sons and daughters of God because our faith in Him. He endured the cross for the joy set before Him. A mother, the pains of labor, but after the pains of labor, her pain leaves because the child is here. <laughs> 
there's a joy that hits her. Despite what she had to go through, despite the pain, she sees this baby and says it was worth it. I know there's some mamas in this place and you think about your kids right now. They're worth it. And if anybody tries to tell you they're not worth it, you're going to take them out. Your children are worth it. All the pain you had to go through, they were worth it. And just like us, just like that, that concept of thinking, I want you to think about Jesus. The cross was worth it. Why? Because the baby, he got a hole in his hands. And who was that baby? Us, the born again, the sons and daughters of a king. It was us because of the cross. He made way for sons and daughters to come in. And the pain of the cross was worth it. Because you are now in his sight. And guess what? Now because this has happened, when he looks at you, what does he see? He sees the joy of you just being his kid. You don't have, well, I did all this. I did. When you're born again, he doesn't see the drunkard. Oh, hear me in this place. He doesn't see the drunkard. He doesn't see the addicted. He doesn't see the one who's bound by pornography and sexual sin and can't get his life right. When you are born again, repent of your sin, pick up your cross, what happens? He sees you as a son and a daughter. The Bible says your sin is as far as the east is from the west. He will wash you as white as snow. He looks at his son and his daughter and the joy set before him. You were the joy set before him. You were the joy that makes him look at the cross and say it was worth it. We're the beloved of God. Come on, say I'm beloved. We are the children of him. We have access to the Father directly by Jesus' name. Come on. We have access to the kingdom because we look like a king. We have beloved identity. (laughs) Come on, we are beloved. Shame has to leave you. Sickness has to leave you. Disease has to leave you. We believe it. Why? Because we're beloved. And our Father is a healer. The Bible says there's healing in His wings. He is our Father and we are His beloved. I want to share with you a story. Yeah, all right. It was about three weeks ago, almost a month ago, I was on a preaching trip. I was preaching in Auburn, Alabama. And I went to Auburn, Alabama. Come on, War Eagle. Didn't work. All right. Uh, I'm not saying gay. Um, But I went to Auburn. I grew up an Auburn fan, so this was a dream come true. When I got an email, and I was like, no way, no way. Church right outside of Auburn, I was freaking out. Because I grew up loving the Auburn Tigers. My uncle played football at the University of Auburn. We're from Virginia, but, you know, I had to answer this question a million times growing up. Why are you not a Virginia Tech fan? Because my uncle played football at Auburn. So, I grew up loving Auburn. So, when I got this booking, I was like, yes, awesome. Maybe I can go to the game. I tell my dad, I said, Dad, maybe we can go up early. And then I'll preach on Sunday. We'll watch a game on Saturday. He said, I was going to call and tell you the same thing. <laughs> and... 
We ended up booking our tickets to this Auburn game. It was the night after harvest night, so I was here till midnight. Got up at 4 a.m. the Saturday after harvest night and drove all the way to Auburn, Alabama. And I got there. I was dead tired. And I had no tickets. My dad got all the stuff. My dad booked everything. So I was just going to meet my dad. And I got to the stadium, and I was walking out. Trying, you know, it's amazing, beautiful experience. The smell of the food and the tailgating. And I'm a picky guy, and it still just was doing me right. And it was just like, I have made it. And, you know, it was just like, it was a bunch of Auburn fans. And I was walking down, and I didn't have my tickets. Got to the stadium. I can't get in the stadium without my tickets. So I called my dad. I said, Dad, you here? Yep. I said, where are you? He said, inside. I said, I, I don't have anything to get inside. So he got me the tickets, sent them to me, got in. I get in the stadium. I said, Dad, where are you? Call him again. Where are you? I'm on the field. My ticket says section 200-something, C-18. The field's all the way down there. <laughs> They're not going to let me come down on the field. They're going to tell me, oh, sir, uh, your seat is right up there. I said, how do you expect me to get to you? He said, tell them who your dad is. And I was just like, so just say my dad's Mike Ball. Yes. Okay. So I hung up. I was like, how in the world does anybody here know my dad? We're from Virginia. So I walk down. There's thousands of people walking through. I get to gate. There's this huge buff dude. Scariest man I think I've ever laid eyes on. <laughs> I, I mean, he was scary looking. Like, if a biker and a cop mixed, like a hardcore biker meets cop, this was him. And I was just like, Hello. And he was like, can I see your ticket? And I was just like, yeah. Sir, that's section two. <laughs> exactly like 200 row eight, uh, seat 18. Your seat's going to be right up there. I am not getting by this, dude. <laughs> well, my dad's Mike Ball. Right this way, sir. <laughs> totally changed. I don't know why I still showed him my ticket. I should have just went straight up and said my dad's Mike Ball, but I showed him my ticket. And then, he, you know, he's telling me to sit up there. And then I just say, well, my dad's Mike Ball. Right this way. Like, the demeanor changed, everything. He escorted me. <laughs> like I was some superstar to my dad who's at the 50-yard line. <laughs> Looking like he's the head coach of the Auburn Tigers. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what are we doing? And I walk up to him. He's like, glad you made it. And we were just standing there, and we watched the whole experience kick off everything from the sidelines that went to our seats. And when I went back to my seat, the story amazes me because I had nothing to offer to show why I belonged on that field except that I was the son of the father. And because I was just his son, I got access to a place I shouldn't have had access to. And I've come to let people know in this place today, just because Yahweh is our father <laughs> and nothing else, we have access to places that we don't deserve, we don't belong in, but just because who our daddy is, we get access to things we don't deserve. 
You need to know your daddy. It's all about who he is and who we are in proximity to him. This is just coming to me. But in youth group a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the, the idea of if Bill Gates was your daddy. Hear me. If Bill Gates was your dad, what would your Amazon cart look like? Don't act in here like you just all the same. <laughs> what car would you drive? My Honda. <laughs> what house would you live in? Not the Highlands. <laughs> I could testify. At least my neighborhood. <laughs> so the idea of Bill Gates being your daddy changes the perspective of how you think about life and look at life. There's not one person in here, if Bill Gates was your daddy, you would, your budget would look the same. I would go to war with you on almost, and it would not look the same. You would change the way you spend money. Why? Because Bill Gates is your daddy. And it was crazy when I, when I spoke that to the room because it's like faith hit the room. It's like, guys, this is totally a made-up concept. Like, Bill Gates is not your dad, but they were all like, I'm going to have this, I'm going to have that, I'm going to drive that, I'm going to live in that. It's like faith hit the room out of this made-up concept of Bill Gates being your dad. That's not true. But what is true is the one who hung the stars, (laughs) the one who spoke the earth into existence, The one who has everything and everything and everything in the palm of his hands. The one who has no beginning and has no end. He is your father. Why are we not thinking the way we think about Bill Gates? In the terms of God, Bill Gates can't offer you anything, but God can. But it was crazy how faith hit the room. Faith hit the room when we were thinking that Bill Gates was our dad. So if faith hits your heart like that, how much more faith should hit your, hit your heart when you get the revelation that you are a son and a daughter of God most high? Come on. How much more faith? Bible says the enemy will be put under your feet. He'll make them your footstool. The Bible says, oh, my goodness, goodness. Oh, I can't go off the stage. Uh, I just get, I get crazy right there. The Bible says everything that his now becomes ours. Why? Because we're a son. The Bible says we're a co-heir of Christ sitting in heavenly places. Why? Because Yahweh is our father. If you could just get the revelation that you are a beloved son of a great king, you would never walk around like you didn't know who you were anymore. No matter what the world says, you might have a terrible home life, a broken life, terrible marriage, and we're praying God restores everything that's broken. But I promise you, if you get a revelation of beloved identity, you'll never question who you are again in the eyes of God. 
I used to strive in my walk with Jesus. Just a year ago, I would strive at times to make me feel like I was truly loved by God. If I kept preaching all these conferences, if I kept serving here, if I kept going there, and then God sent me down one night. I was praying until I couldn't pray anymore. Tears were running out of my face because I was doing the work of the gospel, but I felt broken on the inside. And it just would not add up. I said, God, why do I feel so defeated? Look at what I'm doing. It doesn't make sense. And he spoke to my heart. And he said, son, my kingdom is not about words. My kingdom is about who you are to me. I don't care. He anoints me and calls me and sends me as a pastor, as an evangelist to the body. But at the end of the day, forget the pastor. Forget the title evangelist. I'm a son of God. And when he spoke to me and said, I'm proud of your son for preaching. I'm proud of you for laboring. But you know what I'm more proud of? The fact that you're just my boy. The fact that you love me. And you love me with everything on the inside of you. And something changed changed. I still travel and preach. I still serve this house faithfully and will the rest of my life. I love pastoring this house, but let me tell you one thing. Before I'm anything, I'm a son. My satisf- I don't get satisfied over anything else except the fact of who my papa is. I could preach my heart out to you today, and none of you leave this place without, like, you all leave, don't shake my hand, don't tell me good message. At the end of the day, I'll be fine. Why? Because I'm going to go home, and I'm going to sit on my couch and drink a Pepsi. And I'm going to pray in that moment. God, I poured everything out I had to give today. I hope it hit. The hearts of men. And I hope people came into your kingdom. I did everything I could do. Now I'm going to rest in the fact that I am who you say that I am. And the love of God will touch me about 2 o'clock today on my couch. And I'm going to be weeping. Why? Because he's going to say, well done, son. Well done, son. You did it, son. I don't know who I've come to preach to this morning, but I've come to preach to you. You don't have to strive for God's love. You don't have to strive for acceptance. You don't have to do this or that to feel like you belong. You just got to realize who your daddy is, and you belong, and you're more than enough. And get this, you'll never be kicked out. By no means is this an anti-church message or You know, we don't need church. Yeah, we're all the sons and daughters of God. I don't need a pastor. I got a, he's my pastor. And you you twist my words to go out of here and run away from God? Wrong-o. Don't do that. Error, 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 error. What I'm trying to tell you is this. Those who love God and embrace being a son, embrace being with their brothers and sisters, embrace being under fellowship and under fathers in the faith and under pastors and leaders and serving the house of God. True sons and daughters don't want to be anywhere else but the house of God. I mess you up, man. That's good. Last but not least, forgot this first service. This is, 
You come here. Thanks, baby. All right. Hold this. Come on. <laughs> but this jacket right here was my granddaddy's jacket. It was my daddy's jacket. Now it's my jacket. And if you look at this jacket, you can see right here is Bowl Construction Company. If you know me, I am not a contractor. <laughs> not a carpenter. My dad can build anything. My grandfather can build anything. Me, Minecraft. <laughs> you want that house? You want that house? Yeah, digital. All right. <laughs> hey, my rates are better than rates right now. Come on, give me a call. But <laughs> less interest, all right? Um, but this jacket has Ball Construction Company on it. So in reality... I'm not a carpenter. I'm not a contractor. I'm not over our construction company in Virginia. This jacket just doesn't make sense. This is the jacket he gives to his men this time of year in the winter. It's cold. They're working. I'm not out there working like them. Why do I have a jacket? Why do I just get what they got? I'm not putting, I'm not laying brick and hammering nails, but you got everything we got. It don't make sense. I'll tell you why. Because this jacket was my daddy's. And I might not look the image, and I might not be exactly the same, and I might not deserve it because I'm not hammering a nail on the wall, but this jacket was my daddy's. And it's not because I can build a house. It's just because I'm his son. And he says, hey, I'm going to give you this. Why? Because you're my baby. I've come to tell you today, you might feel like you don't look the part. You might say, I could never preach. I could never sing. That is not me. No way. There's still a jacket that fits you. There's still a jacket that God wants to put on you. And guess what? The jacket still says the kingdom of God. The jacket still says a beloved son and a beloved daughter. What's on mine is on yours. Come on, stand up, in your, stand up on your feet if you believe it this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.